think I just really like that era of time. You like the Victorian era? Yeah. You want to be back there? I just like reading how fucking wild people were. You like the uh, misogyny, mm. patriarchy. <laughs> you like that women couldn't vote. I just love that they actually cut their hair properly. Yeah. Oh, trim, yeah. trim the mustaches properly, you know? Something mm. that I would say is a the lost women? art. Uh, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> the women's mustaches. Yeah. What if it became fashionable for ladies that mustache? I suppose it could. I think I'd be okay with it. Yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah. You can kind of do whatever you want nowadays, so. Well, you know, the thing is, chicks, they drive everything, mm. all right? <laughs> Fashion-wise, you mean? Fashion-wise, mm. whatever. We've whatever. talked about it, like the birds, how they always got to do excessive peacock and bullshit <laughs> in order to get noticed by a lady. They just oh, drive. Oh, the gentleman. They drive the species, mm. ladies do. Mm-hmm. Whatever they want, that is what masculinity is, is what is defined by them. Which is why we went through Are you a metrosexual phase. We went through a lumberjack phase. We Wait, hold through... on. What is the metrosexual phase over? Oh, that's been over for years. Has it? Yeah, ever since beards came back, yeah. Okay. Because metrosexual that... was clean, like you're a twink. Yeah. 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 And then it bounced back hard to fucking... Beards and flannel. Isn't it weird that like a metrosexual is literally just kind of a person who like takes care of themselves? Yeah, uses skin products <laughs> and hair care and all that kind of stuff. I know like that, it's ridiculous. Was, Wears nice clothes. What was that like early two thousands? And it's just like you know, I was back in the era where, I mean, I guess you'd have to call it homophobia uh, for a gentleman who liked to dress nice. You know, uh, the, I mean, they were always called an F word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Usually by the hillbillies who yeah. didn't shower or the football team oh, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's and true. like uh, uh, the, the things got on hand with those two polos at the same time, though, both with pop collars. That it's was hot. a problem. No, that I. There, there was a lot of two shirts. A lot of two shirts a lot going of on. Shirts, two shirts. I was, I did wear the two shirts. <sighs> Never got but behind the two shirt. I always the, said, here's I want to beat up the two shirts. Here's the thing, though. Not like the two collars. I like to wear the two shirts because I felt it made me look slimmer. Does that make sense? How how were you layering though? Because layering's fine, but what kind of two shirts were like you wearing? A white time? shirt, and then. Whatever black t-shirt I wore. Oh, like a long white shirt underneath or? Uh, sometimes I do that still, but no, just like a plain white tee and then a shirt over it and you oh, tuck the fine. white tee in because that's it fine. makes you yeah. makes you seem And more... if you bend over, your asshole's not yeah. hanging out. Yeah. Well, I have that problem and I don't, I really don't know how to escape it. Well, you need a butt is the problem, <sighs> Coates. Maybe I can go to Brazil, get like Injections. two- Two implants, yeah. right, that just yeah. give me, like, a little ledge so my pants can catch on there. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, just put, like, uh, coat hooks. Get those sewn <laughs> I was going to say, can I, can I get those, like, surgically installed so that my pant hook can just catch on there? Get uh, some 3M <laughs> adhesive hooks and just put them on there. You'll be fine. I'll never fall off again. That's what I need, honestly, because it... You know, it's a suspenders, it, my it, friend. It's a disease that's plagued my father and my father before him. Suspenders. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. But then I'll be like Jordan. I don't want to be like Jordan. <sighs> well, get the ones that are like look like uh, measuring tape. Isn't it an interesting dynamic that um, I think gay men really like suspenders, right? Hmm. And the the polar opposite of neo Nazis really like suspenders. Hmm. So what is that? What is going on with that? Hmm. Well, I think if you have a paunch, (laughs) 
and it pushes your pants down, <laughs> you need suspenders. And I think maybe in every community mm. you're going to find that. Mm. Yeah. Do you think there's any like family? They've had like a generation of the exact same suspender. Like mm. my great grandfather wore these suspenders every yeah. day, and I'm passing them down to you now. Yeah, it's like a family sword yeah. or something. But the- family <laughs> suspenders. <laughs> I, so I guarantee grimy, you. I guarantee grimy you. and disgusting. Cufflinks for sure. But well, yeah, but suspender. that's just metal. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah, they would be. It would look like uh, Sidney Crosby's jockstrap. Oh, look up that picture if you ever want to. That hockey store next to where I, I worked. Yeah. Big ass window picture of Sidney Crosby. Oh, they there. got a fat head mm-hmm. out there, huh? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, hey, Sid the kid, fantastic <laughs> hockey player, really, and has stood the test of time. He must be gearing up. A lot of kids going in there. I noticed. Well, what year? No, no, it's I, summertime. I don't. There's a lot of high school kids and shit going in there. I don't know. Maybe they're just getting their gear. Oh, prepared. maybe they're getting. Because is it a full plate again sports shop or is it just hockey? Just hockey equipment. Huh. Well, mm. summer league. Mm. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumble Butt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Again, this week it is me. My name is Adam sitting across from me. As ever is Cody. Hello, Cody. Hello, Adam. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Oh, a little bit of business before I ask how you are. Mm. Uh, May 3rd. Uh, Jody, my mother, is having a mastectomy to get rid of breast cancer. Oh, so, okay. send your voodoo thoughts on May third <laughs> out to Jody Palenti as gonna... she is getting her boobs cut off because uh, they're infected with cancer. All of our fans are going to be channeling or whatever they choose to do. Yeah, give up, gonna... uh, give up a little bit of your day mm. on May third. Send mm. a positive vibe or two. Put some chaos magic. Uh, I think Jody, intention out in the world. I think Jody would appreciate if everybody who listened cut their own tits off. No, that they ate some sort of dessert. Oh yeah, I think she would appreciate. Make that. a brownie mm-hmm. and eat it because she's a masterful yeah. baker. Oh gosh, yeah. So uh, eat a dessert in honor of Jody. She made some tuna steaks the other day that I took back with me. Tuna steaks. Tuna. Tuna steaks. Yeah. Okay. And I ended up eating. Eating them on a bagel with cream cheese, and it was fucking wonderful. Good. Yeah. Okay. Are, did does she do the seared on the outside, Pan raw in the seared. middle? Yep, raw okay. in the middle. That's right. that's the only way to do it. That's a good, oh, that's, that's a good a, that was a good that was a good meal. Good job, Jody, and good luck with your surgery. Yeah, absolutely, Jody. Good luck. Good job, brother. All right, Cody, how have you been? I've been fantastic, keeping busy, uh, all that fun stuff. I'm starting my. New position next week, so that'll are, be exciting. Well, same position, yes, new location. New building. Yeah. So now I got to get uh, Complete acclimated. lateral movement, but yep. you will save so much money and yep. so much time. Right. Now I just got to get used to everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's unbelievably hard to remember people's names when you can't see their faces, to yes. be honest. but uh, Just like the good doctor said. Mm, yeah, I, I'm hey, there with the good doctor. Maybe you're the good doctor. <laughs> Maybe you're the new well, I can usually, Doogie Howser. I can usually tell emotions through, uh, you know, people's voice. Yes. So I think I got I got that handled. But uh, but yeah, the mask and the the we we wear glasses too. So nice the full Double, shield thing. Yeah, it's uh, extra hard to remember people's names by their eyes. It's an interesting uh, thing. I never thought I'd deal with trying to remember people by their eyes. Yeah, that's rough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, be, well, if you think about it, humans only recognize each other. It's it's got to have two dots and a slit, right? Yeah, two eyes and a mouth. Then mm. that's how Spielberg, when he made the Grays for uh, 
the movie. What movie? Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He knew that uh, the thing that would track most with a human would be two eyes and a slit. Are you sure that wasn't just his, like, fetish? Ooh, two eyes and a slit <laughs> could be his fetish, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds... It's no. like an electrical outlet, you know? <laughs> Those are pretty hot, too. They are. I mm. I generally touch myself to them. Yeah. I like to try and touch this them This place is myself. bad, because there's, like, four outlets in every room. That's I'm like good. I, well, I, it's, uh, you can't look at them all the time. You get oh, turned on. Oh, God, yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> there's just cum stains all over. <laughs> I think their little face is talking to me Yeah, over little there. Mr. Bill's going, ooh, it's Mr. Bill. <laughs> Kids, look up Mr. Bill. You'll like it. It was a funny, ske- it was a funny sketch back mm-hmm. then. All right, let's, uh, shall we dive in? Do you have let's, any other business to attend to? I do not. Right off the bat, let's establish what a Lonely Hearts Club is before we go any further, okay? Mm-hmm. It's basically the Match.com of its day. Originally marketed to widows and widowers, people would fall in love by mail. To receive a four-page pamphlet full of names, pictures, and mailing address of the most eligible bachelors and bachelorettes, all you had to do was send in a quarter. If you sent in $3 for the year you were given considerably more options. A lot cheaper than the uh, dating sites of today. I've never tried one. I mm. would, I'm not against it, but uh, I've just never tried one. It's like $30 a month. <laughs> yeah. It's like three Netflixes. <laughs> These clubs popped up all over the place in the 20s, likely due to prohibition cutting out social places like bars and dance halls, and people still wanted to meet people and fall in love. By the start of the 30s, these postage stamp flirtation membership clubs had more than a million subscriptions nationwide. Wow, million quarters back then. That's a uh, 250,000 bucks, yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. I feel like now if you steal this idea, you owe us money. If you were to bring this back or something like this, the hipsters would die for this Hell dude. Yeah. Like a they'd boutique have, dating thing. They'd have like a handwritten like Shakespearean fucking Profile, their best suspender pick, parted hair, groomed stash, and the ladies would be prim and proper, whatever you'd want to do, ladies. Yeah, they would look like they're going to mm. a uh, debutante ball. <laughs> the, like so much white foundation and like the little pink dots. Oh, they're French. The cheek, yeah, you want right them to there. be little French ladies. And the little lipstick the huge that like... curly hair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's just what I envisioned for yeah, the, little uh... French noble ladies. <laughs> Obviously, when you run a business like this, there's going to be fraudsters and catfishers, as it was, of course, the internet of Mm. its day. One woman had at least 100 men convinced that they were going to marry her, and she would accept gifts through the mail from all of her fiancés. When investigators got wise to the racket, they shut her down, but no criminal charges were filed, likely due to embarrassment on the part of the fooled men. How do you even keep track of 100 people? You wow. gotta be determined. I mean, Holy that's a hustle. Shit. That's a hustle. Like, you must be no, you no, no. Like, I guess the common thing is no names. You just use like baby, sweetheart, mm. yada yada yeah. yada. Yeah, honey, so, honey, pumpkin, honey, boo boo, whatever you want to call it. Honey, boo boo, the oh. little, the little chubby girl. <laughs> Another instance comes from an expose written in a newspaper. A miner lost, and that is a miner that uh, clink clink clink. He he makes <laughs> not a takes pedophile, the stone, right? <laughs> A miner lost $5,000 to a 42-year-old New York widow who was actually a squat little man with an agile pen. 
The end of the article reads as follows. Thousands of men and women have lost their life savings in similar circumstances after sending their names, photos, and addresses into some sweetheart or matrimonial club. At best, it's a dangerous idea no matter how well the club is ran. Truth. So, okay, is he lying technically that... Could he, he could have been 42 in New York. He could have been York. a 42-year-old New York widow. Yeah. yeah. Aren't you still a... No, you're a widower if your wife dies, mm, right? Okay. Okay, so... Okay, all right. Well, maybe he just wants to be a 42-year-old New York widow, maybe. I don't it's know. It's the 20th century, man. You can do it. Anything goes. A squat little man. Does mm. that mean, like, stubby legs? Yeah, like a little Danny DeVito mm. fella. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you'd turn that down. I'd fuck him. <laughs> Problems with these clubs didn't stop with fraud and broken hearts, however. You know someone is going to take it to the limit. In 1931, Herman Drenth wrote lovely letters to widows under the name Cornelius O. Pearson. He lived in Clarksburg, West Virginia with his second cousin wife, Lavella. Oh, that's hot. Cornelius had dug himself a four-room dungeon under an outbuilding in the middle of the woods on his property and used the Detroit-based American Friendship Society with their 50,000 members as his prey. That's the Quakers. The AFS? That is the Friendship Society's the Quakers, buddy. Wow. Well, yeah. guess what? This isn't the Quakers. This is a, <laughs> this is a, uh, one of them fuck letter writing companies. Oh, but, is it? Yeah, but okay. I guess uh, maybe that's a little tip of the hat to the, the Quakers or the, something. The uh, Society of Friends or something is the Quakers. Huh. How about yeah. that? Don't trust Quakers, by the way. Don't trust them. Nope. They'll lie to you. Dorothy Lemke and Asta Eicher separately fell in love with Cornelius and both moved to him, Asta Eicher bringing along her three children. They all ended up in the dungeon, and then he hanged them one by one. He described it as follows. I put the 14-year-old girl in one room and the 12- and 9-old brother and sister in another room. I put Miss Lemke and Mrs. Eichel in their own rooms. I killed Miss Eichel first. I strangled her with the rope around her neck. Then I walked through the door and killed the little brother and sister. I hit the boy in the head with a hammer before putting the rope around his throat. They never made a noise or put up a fight. I killed the 14-year-old and Mrs. Lemke last by strangulation. You know who this sounds like? Uh, BTK. Ah, yes, indeed. This is shit he did. Indeed. He then buried all five bodies in a trench he dug out back. Something that didn't make the paper as it was considered too distasteful, however... He climaxed as each body was wriggling from the crossbeams. This is 100% BTK. Yep. Wow. Yep. There you go. That's why I, I was like, you think it's BTK now? Wait till I read Holy, the next sentence. Is that what you felt when oh, you yeah. read that? Holy oh, yeah. shit. I always thought it was weird when, um, I especially know this when like other podcasts cover old serial killers or whatever, you're like, that sounds almost exactly like one of the newer ones that they ca- captured. It's always like there's just... So many different prototypes, I it's guess. It's like an echo in time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're very broken weird. in the same ways that mm. the other ones are. It's mm. very strange. Did he do it for money, too, or just... This guy just to... Just get off like that. Fucked up. In the f- 1940s, correspondence clubs, Cupid clubs, Lonely Heart clubs, whatever you wanted to call them, saw their highest membership as war widows were adding tons of fresh new faces to the roster. By early 1949... There were 500 clubs operating to over 3 million members. I did not even think about this. War War Widows. widows. Yeah, I wouldn't have even... I I guess there would have been, what, 20 million of them or possibly more? Or I don't know, whatever. But uh, 
Fuck, there's a lot of people who died then. And they were young, too, mm-hmm. you know, 20s, mm-hmm. 30s. Now that we've laid the groundwork, let's get into the story we're actually covering. In the district attorney's office of Byron Center, Michigan, on the night of February 28th, 1949, a large-figured woman was lovingly stroking a small, balding man's head as they explained to police how they had killed their final victims in this very town is on it, this very night. Is that actually Danny DeVito and I Rita Perlman? Yeah, I believe it is. I believe <laughs> it those sounds two. sounds like them. And he is saying to the police at this point, I'm not your average killer. He's a fucking weirdo, buddy. Is he? He's a weirdo. You say you want an egg. A pocket <laughs> egg. Can I offer my- you an egg in these trying times? <laughs> here's my magnum condom for my, for magnum my monster dog. dong. <laughs> no, here's my monster condom for my magnum dong. <laughs> these two became known as the Lonely Hearts Killers in the press, and their trial would take place in the scorching hot summer of 1949 in the Bronx. Ooh. The energy around the whole ordeal manifested in riots among spectators. The story of Spanish Clyde and Plump Bonnie would completely enrapture the nation. It was, it was more intriguing than any pulp novels on the shelves. Mm, okay. Our girl Martha was born Martha Jewel Seabrook in 1919 in the town of Milton, northeast Florida. As a 10-year-old, Martha developed a glandular condition that gave her the body and the sex drive of a full-grown woman. By that time, she was already obese and faced ridicule not only from her classmates, but her completely domineering mother as well. Is this uh, a co- is this a common disorder? I've never heard of this before. Jeez, yeah, I have It's weird. Like... Sounds awful when it you're sound, 10. It sounds like Gypsy Rose's mom or something. Whoa. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, Florida woman here, kind of matching. Florida woman. Yeah, uh, so she's crazy, obviously. Crazy. So. Yeah. From All Milton, right. near Pensacola, I think. Ooh. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I've never heard of Milton, but it, maybe it's lovely. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. At her 1949 murder trial, Martha testified that when she was 10... Her older brother raped her, and of course, her mother blamed Martha and beat the absolute tar out of her. Ugh. From then on, wherever Martha went, her mother went, and if a boy showed even the slightest modicum of interest, she would chase him away with a barrage of insults and threats. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that's kind of understandable, you know, if that happened. Defense mechanism there. God, that's disgusting. No, her mom would chase the boys oh. away. Oh! Yeah, because she thought Martha was just out there trying to fuck... Everyone, uh, including her older brother who raped her. Are you yeah. sure this family isn't from Georgia? <laughs> right Jesus. across the border, right? Yikes. As she progressed through her teens, she had no friends and became reclusive, retreating fully into herself. Martha would graduate first in her class from the Pensacola Nursing School in 1942, but because of her appearance, no hospital found her acceptable for hire. She ended up working for a mortician, preparing female bodies for burial, Obviously, the dead didn't care how heavy she was. Uh, I didn't even know that was a thing. They would turn you down for that in that time. You had to be pretty attractive and thin to be a nurse. Wow. Okay. That's fucking fucked up. Uh, But let's say original gothic girl right here just becomes a mortician. Why not? Sure. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hey, nothing wrong with morticians. That is a valuable service. So back then, I'm assuming... 
mortician, a male mortician can only work on male bodies. Females. That sounds, I mean, that's what this makes it mm. sounds like, but uh, I would like to hear from a mortician. <laughs> I think we have a few who are fans, so maybe I, we'll... Based on Instagram names mm. that I follow, I think some of them are morticians. <laughs> that same year, she hit what she thought was rock bottom and couldn't take it. After a couple failed suicide attempts, she abandoned Florida for California, and thankfully for her, got a job at an army hospital working as a full-fledged nurse for real, alive people. I was going to say, I feel like the army's going to need a lot of uh, healthcare workers during this time. She's a great nurse. Too. Yeah. Like, she actually is a wonderful nurse. Great. At night, she would hit up the bars on base trolling for some nice soldier weenie, and as a result, she became pregnant from a soldier that was not interested in fathering a baby with her. Mm. When he found out she was prego, he tried to kill himself by jumping into the bay. Uh, with a heart full of shame and sorrow that a man would rather kill himself than marry her, she headed back to Florida depressed, alone, and pregnant. That's pretty fucked up. That is really yeah. fucked up. Jesus. Yeah. Why would you... I don't know. I don't even know the... She expected, you know, she thought yeah. he was going to marry her. Well, it's like, why would he just try to kill himself right then? Like this Or fucking... do it better than, like, throwing yourself into a bay. <laughs> was it like a three-foot bridge you jumped off? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I can't take this shit anymore. Just ran real fast into the water from I would, the beach. You know, this is pure millennial, millennial humor here, but... Uh, I was joking. I made like a really bad pun, right? Mm. And I was like, you know when you're like, okay, I'm going to go kill myself now. Typical millennial joke. Um, do you think anybody actually did that? They said such a bad joke, they just jumped into bay. Huh. Hmm. Makes you think. It's a philosopher's question That's, right there. Uh, I, I've heard of a comedian that went up on stage and played a song that was like, called Sorry for All the Mess, and then he stabbed himself in the heart and killed himself on Holy stage. Holy shit. So maybe... Okay, yeah. I guess, uh, I mean, that's sad, but I guess it does happen, right? Yeah. Back in sunny Milton, Florida, she had to come up with a story to explain her pregnancy. She went with the lie that she married a Navy officer in California. She even bought a wedding ring and wore it around proudly, telling everyone that she couldn't wait for them to meet her hubby just as soon as he smashed the Japs. Mm, you know what? Um, She was in Florida. She should have just said God got her pregnant. Ah, Jesus 2.0. It would have worked. Mm, five head move right there. <laughs> Is that where the, uh, where's the new Israel according to Mormons? <laughs> Missouri. Yeah, Missouri, that's it. <laughs> she knew this couldn't hold up forever, so she arranged a telegram to be sent to herself saying her husband was killed in action. In a performance that would rival Goy from last week's mm. episode, she broke down wailing in the telegram office upon hearing the news. The town stood behind her, and the story even appeared in Milton's local newspaper. In the spring of 1944, she gave birth to her little daughter, Willa Dean. Oh, that's a cute name. I don't I know like about that. Dean for a lady, but uh Just reminds I like me it. of Jimmy Dean, but I don't think that was a problem at the time. <laughs> Maybe she went on to be a master sausage cook. You don't know. And a trans person and became Jimmy Dean. Could be. That'd I like be a, it. That'd be a great story. A trans man. Um, yeah, so... I, but again, you know the like dramatic thing. What else were these people doing in 1940? Probably getting yeah. coffee, buying yeah. eggs, bored as shit. They're like, yeah, let's watch the girl story. pretend to read a letter. And I'm sure that happened a lot. To be honest with you, my my you, fake husband died. Well, I'm saying like if they got bad news, their spouse died in the war or something like that. You know, it could happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, mm. There was a war on after all. Mm -hmm. 
Within months of becoming a new mother, she met and was impregnated by a handsome Pensacola bus driver named Alfred Beck. Mm. This one reluctantly agreed to marry her, probably because he didn't want to be seen as a deadbeat. Six months later, they were divorced, and Martha was all alone for the third trimester of her pregnancy, and she had an infant on her hip. So she's about to have three kids now. Two. Two. Okay. One baby on the hip. One baby. One in the tum-tum. Okay. For some reason, I thought the Mila Willa Dean was older. No, she, I mean, she got pregnant like two months after giving okay. birth to Willa Dean. Well, you know what, ladies? You know what they say? You can't tie down a Greyhound bus driver. Certainly not. They're just too wild of creatures. So they're, uh, they're stallions. Be, you can't fence them in. Be, care- <laughs> be careful if yeah. you're trying to date one because... You know, they're notorious tomcats. Fast like a greyhound, ever heard of it? (laughs) She started reading trashy romance novels and listening to awesome true crime podcasts. Or reading true crime magazines. (laughs) And watching afternoon detective movies, often starring Charles Boyer, who is the basis for Pepe Le Pew, if you're wondering. Really? Mm. He kissed too much. He's a bit of a womanizer. Mm. Uh, He always stunk, apparently. And (laughs) he he has a a big silver streak in his hair, just like Pepe has. I mean, that's kind of cute. Yeah, they did all that. Like, the Looney Tunes were were pretty good about all that stuff. Mm. She started reading trash. I already said that. In 1946, she finally got a job nursing again at the Pensacola Children's Hospital. Martha was a lot of terrible, low-down, rotten things, but being a nurse was not one of them. Since she had zero social life, she put everything she had into nursing. She wrote this from prison after her arrest. I chose this profession without thought of self or material gains, but for the purpose of aiding humanity and rendering services to others. Oh, she is a belle. I mean, look... Sometimes even crazy killers, you know, they have compassion in like a weird way. And that's what she, Mm. like, she isn't, she fucking loved being a nurse. Mm. She fucking loved helping people. Mm -hmm. But she is awful. (laughs) An awful human, huh? Yeah. Before the end of her first year, even before her performance review, she was promoted to nurse superintendent of the entire hospital. Even with this success, she couldn't find personal happiness. She was in a full-blown, major depressive episode. She thought a man she could have all to herself would make her happy, one that would fulfill her mentally, spiritually, and sexually, like the smooth detectives in her magazines and books and Charles Boyer movies. Mm, so she hasn't quite learned that fictional characters are made to be better than a to human being. To be the being. idealized human. <laughs> yeah, no, she uh, she doesn't have that figured out yet. That's why all the ladies now, you know, they all want us to be George Clooney. We can't be George Clooney, ladies. I'm sorry. No. Just ain't gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. I mean, I got a good hairline, but not like George. (laughs) No. Her co-workers, like every other female contemporary colleague or classmate, tormented her. They even went so far as to place an ad in the mail for her in a Lonely Hearts Club. When she received the letter in the mail, she broke down crying, angry, stinging tears. And just despite those catty bitches, she did join a Lonely Hearts Club called Mother Deneen's Family Club for Lonely Hearts. She had to fill out a form describing herself, but left off that she had two kids and didn't supply any clear pictures. Every day, she checked her mailbox with fingers crossed, hoping that her Prince Charming-to-be had open communication with her. Okay, I feel like a dating thing should not be called the Family Club. I thought... You know what? <laughs> Mother Deneen's Family Club for Lonely Hearts is a little bit weird. Uh, she kind of, Mother Deneen kind of sounds like she's a racist who has a cooking show on. Uh... Yeah, it's like an Aunt Jemima kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's pretty like uh, mammy 
racist sounding. Oh my god. Well, I guess you know what? She's um showing them bitches what's up. She says, I'm gonna take your insult and I'm gonna wield it against you. And uh and yeah, I guess I'm a, I'm gonna assume because uh it's a lone heart's murderers. She might find a, a gentleman, maybe not a good gentleman, but a gentleman of some sort. You know what? I think she will find one mm. of those, Cody. Mm. Jordan Fox. It- <laughs> <laughs> Jordis Dean Fox is going to be mailing her. He's, he's got his Wait, own fake name. Was Jordis Fox the original guy who got her pregnant on the ba- first on the base? <laughs> he was the soldier. <laughs> yeah. He was the National Guardsman that was yeah. getting recruited by the Hells Angels. <laughs> the other half of our star-crossed lovers was raymond martinez fernandez who was born on the island of hawaii on december 17th 1914 his parents were incredibly proud full-fledged spaniards it made them extremely disappointed that their son was so sickly and weak looking as a boy his father in particular wanted a stronger son and never showed raymond much interest or love when Raymond was three, the family moved to Bridgeport, Connecticut. I mean, we do call that little Spain now, so. Yeah, we definitely do. Bridgeport. Uh, do you think Spanish kids, mm. like, they just throw them in a ring with a bull, mm. and if they live, they're considered strong Spanish boys or girls? Well, do they give them anything else? A, a red towel? Red I don't blankie? Know. Red, <laughs> a red, red blankie. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Um, Some swords? That we, shit's fucked up. I actually watched a bullfight. Mm, I had never seen one before. Mm, that shit's fucked up. Yeah, yeah. They stab that motherfucker until it dies. <sighs> Sometimes uh, those people deserve to get uh, gored. Just gonna say that. That was my favorite part of the video. <laughs> the guy, like, his guts were out by the end. Really? Yeah. Bull got him. All right. I mean, it's a big-ass fucking angry muscle. animal. It's a big muscle. Yeah, what are you fighting it for? In 1932... Wanting to stretch his legs and go somewhere he wasn't seen as an immediate disappointment, Raymond went to Spain to work on a relative's farm. While there, at the age of 20, he fell in love with a local named Encarnacion Robles, and the two set up shop. With the framework and some encouragement, he grew into a dashing, built young man that everyone in the village of Gorgiva liked. Ooh, I like the Encarnacion, whatever that person's name. I thought this was a male's name. Encarnacion Robles. Mm. I've heard of uh, Pasa Robles. I think that's a wine. Okay. All right. I was going to say, is the farm grapes, I would assume? Wine grapes, maybe. Yeah, I don't know what they grow in Spain. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I have bulls, apparently. Bulls. They grow them in the fields. When World War II started up, Raymond served as a merchant mariner for Spain, but soon found work as a spy for the British government and garnered quite the nasty reputation among the intelligence-gathering community for getting results. The only thing officially known about his service as a spy is this official blurb from an Allied command. Raymond was entirely loyal to the Allied cause and carried out his duties, which were often difficult and dangerous extremely well. Okay, so I thought this was like some made-up bullshit he put in his... Oh, yeah. Little letter. Oh, it's real. It's real. Uh, okay. I like how Sneaky. that uh, British Allied commander was uh, from <laughs> you know Texas. I, you know I cannot do British accent. <laughs> Following the war's conclusion, Fernandez booked passage on a steamer back to America. His plan was to find work and then send for Encarnacion and his newborn baby. The steamer set down on the island of Caraco in the Dutch East Indies down in the Caribbean. Well on board... 
Raymond experienced likely what snapped him into a vicious asshole. He was trying to climb the stairs to the main deck when a metal hatch slammed down on top of his head. His skull was fractured and dented in, and his brain was changed in an irreversible way. So he didn't just get like that six-inch bump like the cartoons do, oh, like Pepe Le Pew probably does? God. It, they said it's like a huge hatch dent on the top of his skull with a big nasty scar. Yeah, I, it sounds like it hurts a little. The hair never grew back on top of his head either. Oh, Jesus, yeah. yeah, holy fuck. When the ship docked in December of 1945, Raymond was rushed to a hospital where he was forced to stay until March of 1946. Immediately upon release, those that knew him noticed an extreme shift in personality. Instead of the charming, sociable lad he'd been when in the village in Spain, he was now moody, withdrawn, quick to anger, and when he spoke, it was often in long, sometimes broken rants. Yeah, sounds like a head injury. Hmm. Obviously, head injuries change people. The most famous example I can think of whenever it's brought up is Phineas Gage, the rail man who had that huge blown, huge pole blown through his eye and brain. Do you remember that? Uh, in the car crash? No, he was no. Uh, hitting. He was using the big uh, metal metal thing to hit like uh, TNT working mm. on a railroad, and then the TNT blew up and blew the pole all the way through his head. Jesus! And he lived, but he Ooh. was an asshole afterwards. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. When you said Phineas, I kept thinking of that stupid uh, um, fucking uh, Disney show. Isn't that Phineas and Ferb? Yeah. Yeah. That's all I could think of. Yes. I mean, I wouldn't mind if I saw that guy getting a railroad That'd spike right. through him. Yes. Yeah. In Raymond's case, the skull fracture occurred in the frontal lobe, which mm. is responsible for learning, reasoning, and functions as your main logic unit. Yeah. That's usually the one they say you can't get damaged. They say don't do that? Yeah, don't yeah. do that. That's usually a bad idea. Yeah. You'll turn into like Floyd Mayweather or something. Oh. What, a 50-0 and boxer? <laughs> well, a sociopath. Now all nice and healed up, Raymond booked another ship off Caraco and headed for Mobile, Alabama. Mm. When the ship docked, Raymond decided to steal a shitload of clothes from the ship's storeroom, which were all clearly marked as property of the ship. While passing through customs, he was arrested on sight. He had no excuse for his actions and simply said, I don't know. I can't think. I saw the guys taking a towel or two in their bags, and I thought I'd do the same. Only, I couldn't stop. <laughs> he was just compulsively a- loading his bags I- full of shirts and stuff. I was going to say, he's like that person who steals ho- like hotel towels, but instead this guy goes into every room and steals all their towels. Awful. Like the uh, <laughs> Chinese guy in uh, uh, Casino. Yeah. The Japanese guy. I can't remember yeah. which one he was. The Agile one. For this, Raymond was sentenced to one year in a federal prison in Tallahassee, Ooh, Florida. Ooh, that had to be nasty. Gross. That's the swamp capital of <laughs> prison. <laughs> While there, he became incredibly friendly with a Haitian inmate who was a voodoo priest, and Ray got super interested in the occult. Ooh. He began to believe that he had a magnificent power over women that stemmed from voodoo, and that led him to believe he was a chosen priest that could enhance his mystical powers by garnering the favor of the spirits. Well, at least his imagination wasn't damaged. Maybe Papa Legba showed up, though. (laughs) What if he did? I guess. I don't know. That's pretty wild there. That's pretty fucked. Fernandez told friends that he could make love with women over great distances. In his letters to women, he constantly asked for a lock of hair, small piece of jewelry, or other items he could use in voodoo rituals to strengthen his supernatural hold over them. He believed his magic was so strong 
these women wouldn't have a chance against his sexual prowess, and if he didn't travel to them, they would be compelled to find and fuck him. Mm, I'm sure none of that happened, but uh, I'm sure he liked to jerk off on their hair or something. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm guessing that's what it was in the end. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm sure he just used it to jerk off, <laughs> wrapped it around his wee-wee. What kind of a spell is this? The Evander Holyfield voodoo spell? Like, what is this? I don't know. Is mm. that is hair? I assume hair is used in voodoo spells. I guess he does kind of look like a Vander Holyfield now, right? Yeah. Missing all the hair on yeah. the top of his head. <laughs> yes. Few brain injuries. Oh. oh yeah. Oh man, he he actually was a little bit handsome, but then afterwards, <laughs> no good. Who Ray or Vander? Ray. <laughs> in 1946, Ray was released from his year in the clink and slid on up the coast to Brooklyn to live with his sister. His relatives were very critical of his appearance since the accident. He was so handsome with his thick hair and kind face. Now he was bald on top with a huge nasty scar, plain and visible, right on the top of his dome. Might want to invest in a hat. Or a toupee as is what he does. (laughs) And we'll get to it. I don't want to spoil it. Okay, okay. At his sister's, he would stay locked away in his room for days at a time, complaining of awful headaches. While sequestered, he wrote hundreds of letters to Lonely Hearts Clubs and began seducing women who were trusting enough to find love through the mail. Once he garnered the gullible one's trust, he would steal cash, jewelry, checks, whatever he could get them to sign over. Since the victims were often too embarrassed to report it, Raymond found a perfect way to live for free. Well, that doesn't sound like voodoo magic. It sounds like you're an asshole. Yeah, you're just a fraudster. <laughs> you're a fucking male fraudster. <laughs> For months and months, Raymond lived the Lonely Hearts life. He was dating several women at the same time, and in 1947, he began a letter relationship with Jane Thompson, who was very recently divorced from her husband. She had a companion-shaped hole in her life, and the devious Raymond did everything he could to make her think he could fill it. Mm. By October, the two agreed to meet up and then take a luxury cruise over to Spain. Of course, Jane bought the tickets. For several weeks, the pair sight-saw their way across the Spanish countryside, booking hotel rooms as husband and wife. Fernandez was still legally married to Encarnacion Roble, and eventually Raymond and Jane ended up in the town of La Lina. Mm. He introduced his wife and Jane oh together, as well as the kids, and for a while the three of them were seen about town at restaurants and just generally hanging out. Then on November 7th, 1947, things went south between the two women, It's believed that some type of altercation broke out between Raymond and Jane, culminating in Fernandez running out of her hotel room and down the street. You know what happened. He asked for it. He asked for the white whale. He asked for the white whale. The the threesome. The butthole. (laughs) That's what he asked for right there. No, I I don't know. He said, I am a ham. (laughs) He tried um, did he, okay, Did were they aware one was the wife, one was the girlfriend? Or okay. they didn't know initially? Jane didn't know he was married. Okay. Encarnacion didn't know he was bringing a girlfriend. And he <laughs> didn't really tell her that that was his girlfriend. Okay. And then things, you know, they, they developed and got out of hand. Okay. A lot of chanclas were probably thrown at that moment. <sighs> I would say chanclas are all over the gaff. Do you know what that is? That no, shoe? I have no idea. Apparently, uh, it it's a, a shoe Latin women like to throw, 
at each other. Or throw at men or throw Bianca at Bianca throw a lot at you or what? <laughs> Not yet, but she's probably going to buy some now. I'm surprised. Get yeah. me. I figured just, they'd be hanging out of just, the wall. What if you just saw one fucking knock that whole door down? <laughs> right when she heard that. <laughs> oh, don't chocolate me. The next morning, Jane Thompson was found dead in her hotel room. No autopsy was performed and she was buried straight away. Fernandez skipped town once again, abandoning his wife and kids, and hopped on a steamer back to the States. He showed up to Jane's old apartment with a forged last will and testament in hand and took control of all her possessions and her home, despite the fact that her elderly mother still lived wow. there. While this crazy shit was going on, he kept writing to dozens of other women, one of them being his future partner in crime, Martha Seabrook Beck. Did, uh... Incarcion, or whatever her name Incarnacion. is. Incarnacion. Incarnacion. Does she not, like, report this? No. She's a faithful wife, like, all, okay. the, like, all, all right. the way to the end. She's, so, she doesn't rat on him. <clears throat> okay. Well, I, I, I guess he just got away scot-free. It's, cl- it's pretty clear he killed her, though, yeah. right? Okay. They exhumed her body to look for poison eventually, but they, they couldn't nail anything down there. Hmm. Back in Florida, the nurse superintendent's career was was finally on track after several setbacks due to her weight. It took nearly two weeks for a return letter after she first wrote to Mother Deneen's club, but shortly before Christmas 1947, she got her one mm, and only I reply. Like, I have a feeling I know who this is. Uh, Rock Hudson? <laughs> it's uh, whatever that guy she was swooning over on the TV. Oh, Charles Boyer. Yeah. No, I, I'm pretty sure we know who it yeah. is. It was from Raymond, mm. who said he was a bigwig up in New York who made his fortune from the imports-exports business. He wrote that he was a native Spanish who moved to America to expand his business even more. He said he lived alone in an apartment far too large for a bachelor, and I hope to someday share it with a wife. He even wrote in the most courteous and sincere-sounding manner, I know you're a nurse, and I wrote to you because I knew you had a heart with a great capacity for comfort and love. Just putting it down. He's a smooth, not a lot of voodoo magic there. He's just... It's just olive just, oil. Did he just throw that whole thing out the window? No more voodoo magic? The voodoo? No, 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 he's no, He's still no, doing no. it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Everyone, he's asking for hair. <laughs> this was all too much for the love-starved Martha. She was smitten from the first line of the letter and would carry it with her everywhere she went and reread it obsessively. She couldn't believe how well he could express himself through letters. She went right out to the store, bought fancy stationery, and the two wrote letters back and forth. But then it came time for a picture exchange. Oh, is she going to do the catfish thing? Well, she didn't want to scare him away because of her size. So she sent a full staff photo from the hospital where she was partially hidden behind the <laughs> row in front. The poor Martha couldn't have known that her size didn't matter to him. Raymond had already defrauded dozens of women across the nation at this point, and when he saw Martha's occupation listed as a nurse, he figured that she had money or at least a house he could get her to sign mm. over. Um, I was going to say, this is probably like you, I would assume, you on the football team, you're probably one of the taller ones in the team photo you just like circle your head in the background yeah that's what she did yeah, and yeah. then she even said uh the picture doesn't do me justice <laughs> she said that oh that i'm way hotter now yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs>
Raymond had developed a script and process that he would never stray from. He knew it was going to take a couple of weeks, lots Mm. of letters, and even a phone call or two before the victim would agree to meet in person. The first step was always building trust and making the women horny for him from afar with his voodoo magic. Mm, I don't think that's voodoo magic, but uh, <laughs> I guess whatever <laughs> whatever he wants to tell himself. Hey, if what it, it gets him out the door in the morning. Well, now that you put it that way, all I can think of is like when a telemarketer, you can hear them like trying to find the next answer on the script. Like mm-hmm. that's how Raymond does. He has like a big portfolio. It's like, okay, she said this. Now I got to say, if, then, here we yeah. go. He's like a computer programmer, <laughs> if then. After the first few letters between Ray and Martha, Fernandez asked for a lock of hair and a trinket. Martha basically flooded the room she was so excited to oblige and lopped off a big old hunk of hair, doused it with perfume, and got that sucker in the mail. She was full of beans. This was her knight in shining armor that would sweep her away from all the sadness and drudgery. Honestly, though, I really would love to know if like anybody... Using those sites now, just find somebody and ask, talk for a minute and then ask them for a locket of hair and a trinket. Perfect. See if you don't get blocked immediately. Perfect, yeah. I wonder and if then anybody, ask to meet in person. I right wonder away. if anybody would be willing to do this. I mean, you would have to have been talking for a while, right? <laughs> like, you got to kind of know each other before you're asking for hair. Dude, I think you would scare him away immediately. Yeah. Male or female yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it's no good. It's no good. It's that, no good. Like, that's just, I don't know, it's just serial killer shit. After Fernandez built up the proper amount of anticipation, the time was now to set the meat. He took a train down to Pensacola, and she met him at the station. Of course, she was still worried about how she had been dishonest about her life and her looks, so she was frightened, but far more stirred than scared. Mm. When the two locked eyes at the station, Fernandez gave no impression that anything was out of the ordinary. And when she saw him, she couldn't believe how lucky she was that a dreamboat like him was interested in little old Martha. (laughs) They walked back to Martha's place where she introduced Raymond to the kids and cooked dinner. Once the little ones were down for the night... Fernandez laid it down, and Martha was sexually fulfilled for the first time in her entire life. Really? Mm. Okay. All right. Well, I guess his voodoo magic came through. Well, he's got a thick voodoo wiener, one way or the other. (laughs) Fernandez, of course, couldn't care less about Martha, and the entire time he was being intimate with her, he was thinking about how to go about robbing her blind. They were together the whole next day and night, and Martha declared her undying love for Raymond proposing marriage to him. Raymond made up a business emergency in New York and ran for the train station. Now who's the most powerful voodoo priest in the room here? I think Martha just beat your ass, Raymond. Oh, hey, guess what? When she has intentions, she follows through, and we're going to find that out. Martha began to freak out, but Raymond promised he'd be back ASAP or at least send money so she could come to him. Martha, in her desperate state, saw this as an acceptance to her proposal. After he boarded the train, Martha went back to Milton and told everyone in town that she was to be married. On the day of her bridal shower, she received a letter from Raymond saying she definitely misunderstood what he'd said, and he would not be returning to Florida or even sending money. Oh, she actually went through and had a bridal shower. Just like uh, wow. just like she goes through with shit. Okay, she goes through with lies, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Holy shit. Insane. She really just wants... I, You know, now we know she's clearly trying to fill 
avoid with a man, right? She um, thinks that'll solve all her problems. Yeah, so, uh, even though that couldn't be further from the truth ever. I have a feeling men will not solve your problems ever. I have a feeling that or women. Yeah, exactly. Any another yeah. person. Yes, uh, you but have your own problems. Yeah. I have a feeling she sees her coworkers and all this, and they're just like, "Oh, you just need to find a nice man." And it's the forties. Yeah, you know? you're supposed to be married by eighteen. Mm-hmm. Martha quickly attempted suicide, so Raymond relented and sent money so she could take the train up and vacation with him for two glorious weeks. When Martha returned to Florida and her job at the children's hospital, she found that she'd been terminated while away. No official reason was given, but Martha suspected that gossip about her dating a fiery Hispanic lover had gotten around, and that was incredibly unbecoming for a nurse at a kid's hospital. Wow, that's fucked up. Martha grabbed her last paycheck, went home, and packed the kids, along with two suitcases full of possessions, hopped on the first bus headed to New York. On January 14, 1948, there was a knock on Raymond's front door, and much to his horror, he found Martha and her two kids standing there. His magic's a little too powerful. Fuck, fuck. (laughs) Now, this was a major problem for his defrauding and deception operation, but he found he really enjoyed having her around. She was only a shout away from catering to his every need. I I feel like this is going to go bad. But the kids had to go. Martha regretfully made the decision to abandon them at the Salvation Army and wouldn't have any contact with them for three full years until she was living in Sing Sing Prison. Wow. If this was the price she had to pay for such a handsome, perfect mate, she was all about it. (laughs) That is fucking wild. Just dropped him off in front of the Salvation Army and fucking sped (sighs) off. Like, God, you can't just drop them, drop them off at a fucking thrift store. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, the Salvation Army isn't just a thrift store, especially <laughs> not back then. It was like, like orphanages and uh, soup kitchens and all that kind of hey, stuff. Hey, that'd be a good joke for Impractical Jokers, right? They drive up to a drive-in like Goodwill and just open the back oh. and it's just kids and they get them out of the car and then drive off. And just speed away. Yeah. Like, all right, put them on this shelf. Somebody will take them. <laughs> $3.99. <laughs> Once the kids were away, Raymond and Martha had the place to themselves, and Raymond laid it all out there. He brought out his boxes of Lonely Hearts letters and told her about his entire operation, including the dozens of women he'd cleaned out of house and home, and the fact that he still had a wife in Spain. Fernandez was Martha's one true love, and she knew it was her duty to help him through this. Together they began breaking ground on who their next victim should be, comparing letters and photos before settling on Miss Esther Hen in southern Pennsylvania. Oh, no. This lady is, like, way too committed to him. Holy shit. Martha? Yes. She's a stage five clinger. (laughs) What show is that from? I don't know. Wedding Crashers. That is Wedding Crashers. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. That chick was so hot. That redheaded chick? Isn't that Amy Adams? No. Mm. It's uh, the Australian girl. Oh, she's Australian. Amy Adams is in that movie, I think, but that's not her. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Isla Schlesinger. Nope, that's a comedian. Do you sh- like two shorter redheaded ladies? I just assume it's always Amy Adams. Yeah. Much well, like you just assumed. I don't that... have that much of a thing for Amy Adams as a thing. I don't think she's that cute. Just like you think every Forrest Whitaker is just a Ian McGregor. Ewan McGregor, yeah. yeah. Forrest and Ewan are just like <laughs> one click away in my head. 
The newest odd couple made their way over to Pennsylvania, and Martha was acting as Raymond's sister-in-law. Mm, Porno would love that. <laughs> not my daughter fucks <laughs> not her dad. Within one week, <laughs> Raymond and Esther were married in a hasty ceremony at the county clerk in Fairfax, Virginia. Mm. Then the trio went back to Esther's New York apartment to play house. She would say this to reporters later. For four days, he was very polite and sweet to me. Then he started tongue-lashing me for not signing over my insurance and teacher's pension checks to him. I began hearing his stories from around town of how he took a woman to Spain, and she died there. Shortly afterwards, the newlywed Mrs. Esther Fernandez moved out of her own apartment after signing it, her car, and hundreds of dollars over to Raymond and Martha. Wow, what the fuck is going on here? The fraud parade marched on, with several women following Esther, including two which were named Myrtle. No, not Myrtles. One of the Myrtles was Myrtle Young of Greenville, Arkansas, and she agreed to marry Fernandez before even meeting him in person. This, of course, caused Raymond's ego to skyrocket. His voodoo magic was becoming Mm. more powerful than ever. On August 14th, 1948... The two were married in Cook County, Illinois. I guess they split the difference, Arkansas and New York there. This time, Martha was playing the part of Ray's sister, and she did everything she could to stop the two from fucking, including sleeping between them. Oh, my. Okay, this definitely is a Pornhub. Are you sure you didn't get this off Pornhub erotic literature? Jesus Christ. She was like, yep, just cuddling up in the middle here. Uh, It's not weird. My sister always sleeps in bed with newlyweds. It's fine. Uh, This carried on for days and days until Myrtle started screaming at Martha, prompting Ray to give her a hefty dose of sleeping drugs, sending her into unconsciousness. With Martha's help, Raymond put her on a bus headed for Little Rock. Myrtle Young had to be carried off the bus in Little Rock by police. She was comatose, and Raymond had stolen $4,000 from her. The next day, Myrtle passed away in the hospital. Holy shit. Okay, again, the the Greyhound bus driver. You gotta make sure they're awake before they get on the bus. Just gonna say that. How did they get her on there? Like, did they weekend at Bernie's? I guess. They just, they play, just walked her on. playing voodoo music, and it got the... Greyhound bus driver perplexed, and he just didn't even notice. Uh, Ray and Martha headed back east from Illinois, but they stopped off at a few less promising marks that Ray had been corresponding with. They were able to steal some money, but none had near enough assets to run the entire marriage scheme on to fleece them. They found one in New England, but since she was younger than Martha, she wouldn't let Raymond run the scheme. She didn't want to uh, rip off youngsters, just oh. old widows that have had their time. Okay, I don't think any of that's any better. No, it's mm. arbitrary lines in the sand for mm-hmm. being a scumbag anyway. Mm-hmm. They were almost out of cash when they returned to the New York apartment, and winter was coming. They needed a big fish that was semi-local, and boy did they luck out when they came across 66-year-old widow living in Albany, New York, named Janet Fay. Raymond got to work with his pen. The Widow Fay had a great apartment right in historic downtown Albany. And even better for Raymond, she had a fantastic bank account balance. Her family had warned her about the dangers of Lonely Hearts Clubs, but Janet loved the flirtatious interactions. It made her feel young again. 
This was also the first big case where Raymond would use the alias Charles Martin. <laughs> Perfect <laughs> alias. It makes me feel like I'm 58 again. <laughs> Janet. Janet, you, you, you whore. <laughs> you, you harlot. You <laughs> Janet Faye was a deeply devout Catholic who attended Mass twice a week. Raymond keyed in on this, filling his letters to her with references to Jesus and the Bible. After a tense, broke several weeks for Ray and Martha, Janet agreed to meet face to face. What what did he write in his his letters? Like, man, isn't Jesus' six pack so fucking hot, Janet? Like, uh, he what? would write like a uh, uh, an anecdote or a story mm. that had happened to him, and then he would relate it to a story in the Bible. Yeah. You know how they do that yeah. all the time. Yeah. I had a cup of coffee this morning, and it reminded me of when Jesus turned water to wine yeah. with his disciples, and yeah. it was fantastic. It she would be tur- way better to do it the other way if you could turn wine to water. More people need water than wine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, actually, what if he was like, the lady turned my water into coffee through coffee beans? That's kind of magical in a weird way, right? I think it's magic every time my coffee maker mm. boots on, to be honest. <laughs> I put clear liquid in there, and for some reason it comes out brown. I don't get it. It's God, God works That's in God's mysterious will. ways. Why Why is a banana perfectly <laughs> shaped for your hand? Per Christian, Kurt, what's his Christian Cameron to stick Kurt it in Cameron. his mouth? Christian Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> to stick it in his mouth? Yeah. That's ridiculous. What? Yeah. I mean, how did they not know that that was going to look like a penis? <laughs> December 30th, 1948. Martha and Raymond stepped off a bus in Albany and checked into a hotel as a married couple. The next day, Ray left Martha at the hotel, grabbed a bouquet of flowers, and knocked on Janet's door. They spent the entire afternoon on Janet's balcony discussing religious matters. Mm. December 31st, 1948, Raymond brought Martha with him this time, once again introducing her as his sister, and for the next week, the trio were seen all over Albany, laughing, dancing, eating and generally yucking it up. Ray popped the question, and Janet was only too ready to accept. They made plans to move to Long Island, where Martha already had an apartment ready. During the first week of 1949, Janet went around to the local banks, credit unions where she had her wealth amassed in, and closed her accounts. The second she walked in the apartment with over 6000 in cash and checks, Ray said it was time to head to Long Island. Oh, wow. Jesus. For a Catholic, she's way too trusting. Way too trusting. Mm. You gotta be suspicious. How if you're old a is Ray right now? Like 34. His... Wow. Okay. And Martha's 30. I guess Janet yeah. just thought she, I don't know, got a young. They bump, all do. They all stud. think that's exactly it. They're mm. like, holy shit, 34. He's got those healthy hips on him. <laughs> he can pound the shit on yeah. And carry my groceries in and fuck me. Oh my god. He... <laughs> oh my god. All right. I just kept thinking of weird religious role playing things there she wanted to do. Uh, it always I'll... involves a nun well, outfit. I was... Well, I was going to say she would be Mary Magdalene. Perfect. The and... original nun. <laughs> the original bride of Christ. Fuck... Mother of Christ. She'd fuck Ray's dick right off. Whoo! She'd mm-hmm. rip that motherfucker off. That's a portal to heaven right there. <laughs> When they arrived, they moved all Janet's stuff up to the apartment. She cooked a hearty dinner, and all three settled in for the evening. Ray was the first to fall asleep, and shortly afterwards, Janet joined him in their Uh-oh. new marital bed. What happened next, we won't get a clear answer, but when questioned by police later, Martha said, 
I was burning up with jealousy and anger. I walked in Ray's room and Jane and was lying naked with her arm around him. The sight of them embracing made Martha scream. In court, Martha would testify that she blacked out with no memory of what happened next. The next thing I knew, Raymond was shaking me by the shoulders. Janet's corpse was on the floor, her head gushing blood in spurts. She was bludgeoned into unconsciousness with a ball-peen hammer and then garroted with a silk scarf. This was meant both to strangle her to death and stop the blood from spraying out of her skull. Afterwards, she claimed she was in a trance as the two of them cleaned up the apartment. They wrapped Janet in towels and sheets, shoved her in the closet, and went to bed. She'd have to be blacked out for a long time for that. Jesus. Yeah, hell of a fugue state there, yeah. Walter White. Nice try. <sighs> yeah, because... And the, the the presence of mind to wrap... Mm. The, the scarf around the neck to stop the bleeding. That's yeah. like, you're not blacked out at that point. You then. know what? I would have never even thought of that until you just told me that right now. And like she's turning... a nurse, so that was probably the first thing uh, she thought of. I yeah. Did, yeah, I suppose the neck ligature, very, yeah. very So you can't then. say you're in a fugue state and mm-hmm. then also like prevent blood from coming out with mm-hmm. pro maneuvers. Mm-hmm. The next day, they bought a big treasure chest looking trunk, stuffed the body in, and took the trunk to Ray's sister's place who agreed to store the trunk for a few days in the basement. Oh, my God. So his real sister. His actual, the one he moved <laughs> to New York originally to live with. Okay. In Brooklyn. Were they fucking? I don't think so, no. <laughs> okay. 11 days later on the 15th, they retrieved the cargo, took it to the basement of a rented home, and buried it. They covered the grave with cement, and for the next week, cashed all of Janet's checks and typed up letters to her family reading... I'm so excited, and soon we'll be Mrs. Martin. We're moving to Florida. Oh, that's a Janet, red flag right she's off the. Made it. Well, look, we would assume an old person moving to Florida now is like acceptable, but him, especially from New York. Yeah, oh, this yeah. time, this time period, I don't know. Meeting a new man and moving mm-hmm. to Florida, especially one with young, healthy hips. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They signed the letters Janet Fay and sent them out. This was a huge mistake on their part, as Janet didn't own a typewriter, nor did she know how to type. Yeah. Her family immediately called police, and Raymond and Martha were already on the road for Grand Rapids, Michigan. Ray had been working another big fish, 41-year-young widow Delphine Downing, who also had a barely two-year-old daughter named Raynell. Raymond used his Charles Martin gnome de plume, who was, of course, a successful businessman in the import-export business, and this time he possessed an immense love of children in his Mm. letters because he knew she had one. You know what? The import-export business is expert because... That's Costanza. That's what he says in that that one episode. Like, what do you do, George? Uh, Import-exports. Nobody's going to ask, like, details about it. Import-exports. Stuff comes in, stuff goes out. I mean, you could say, I mean, technically, Bezos could say he's in the import-export business, right? Exactly what he does, yeah. Bastard. When Charles said he was going to be in the suburb of Grand Rapids, Byron, Delphine was only too happy to meet up. She also didn't mind that he'd be bringing along his sister, Martha. Delphine was impressed with Charles. She loved his charming, courteous manner and really started thinking she might have a future with him. Before the month was over, the two were having sex. And that sent Martha into a seething rage. One morning, while Charles was in the bathroom getting ready for the day, Delphine accidentally walked in and saw him without his toupee and finally saw the huge, terrible scar. She immediately accused him of fraud and deception, crying and yelling. 
Fernandez tried turning on the old oily charm to try and stop her rage, but it didn't work. Wow, okay, so... I don't know how she didn't notice the toupee. How did that not fall off during sex? Is that shit, like, glued on there? Like, maybe. what's going on? Yeah, maybe use spirit, spirit gum or whatever. <laughs> As you say, it's 3M, like, uh, those adhesive strips put Perfect. on there. Perfect. I mean, that, that no, shit off. no, you cannot. But when you need to get it off a painted wall, it comes right off. It's I have no idea how they do it. It's obviously magic. Mm, uh, yeah, the voodoo was keeping it on his head. Serious. Like honestly, though, yeah, I don't know. I get. Is that something to get mad about? Like, no. I if mean, you're maybe. a normal, well-adjusted person, but if you're a normal, well-adjusted person, you wouldn't have lied about it. For right. Right. Very true. Very true. And here's <sighs> the other thing. You know, at first, first I thought maybe Martha liked being a cuck, but clearly she does not she like it. being a cuck. She hates it. Mm. Even though that's where, where her fucking bread is buttered. That's where the money comes from. I don't know. <laughs> it's really, she's, there's something wrong with her. I Okay, but I I don't, does she care about the money? It seems like she yes. cares about Raymond. Yeah, but they need to live. They need to fucking eat. Mm. Well, we know in the end they're going to end up like, uh... Uh, everybody loves Raymond. Living yeah. in a house together, happy. Raymond. Well, you I'm know, Brad that was Garrett. The, that was the or, that was the origin story of Ray and whatever his wife's name was. Uh crazy. She's also crazy religious. Not Scientologist, but like crazy religious. Really, mm-hmm. in real life. Yeah, she ran a whole like comedy um, convention that was all about Christ. <sighs> Sounds like I wanted to attend. <sighs> Martha. Still furious that Ray was fucking her, and now even more angry that Delphine would dare be upset over the looks of her gorgeous man, tried just standing in the corner until the situation resolved itself. Eventually, since she did that, Martha was able to step in and convince Delphine to take some sleepy time pills in order to calm herself. (laughs) My brother and his fucking hair is so fucking hot, (laughs) Delphine, don't you dare mock him. It is hot ass bald head. (laughs) Well, the pills started working on Delphine, Raynell walked in the room and started crying. Even though she was only two, she knew something was wrong with mom. Martha, who was already in a rage, snatched Raynell by the neck and choked her unconscious, causing obvious bruising to the toddler's throat and neck. You idiot. When she wakes up and sees those bruises on her daughter, she's going to call the cops. Ray walked into the next room and grabbed a pistol that belonged to Delphine's dead husband. He wrapped the handgun in a blanket, Godfather 2 style, and held it up to Delphine's head, putting a bullet in her brain and killing her instantly. Raynell, who had come back to consciousness, watched from a few feet away. That is so fucked up. They wrapped Delphine in sheets and blankets and dug a grave for her in the basement, once again covering it with cement while Martha cleaned up the crime scene. Over the next couple of days, the couple tried to come up with their best course of escape, meanwhile cashing whatever checks of Delphine's they could while also looting the valuables from the house. Raynell continued to cry nonstop, and Ray told Martha she had to take care of it. I can't do it, Ray, I can't. Well, Martha didn't really have a choice. She was in too deep. She was an accomplice to several murders already, homeless, and had abandoned her own children all in order to be with Raymond. They collected flood water from the basement in a metal wash tub, filled it to the brim. Then Martha picked up the kid and held her in the fetid water until she was dead. A few minutes later, Ray was digging a much smaller grave next to Delphine. Oh my god, that is fuck. that's really fucked up. Yeah, yeah, it's no good. That's not what you want. No, absolutely. No. Man, they escalated pretty quickly here. <sighs> cool. 
For some strange reason, instead of hitting the road as soon as Raynell was interred, Martha and Ray decided to go catch a movie and reportedly drank a gallon of soda mm. while there. You can't do that, dude. You'd be pissing every two minutes during the movie. Dude, after the movie pisses... So good? One of the best there is. Because <laughs> that's the only time where I've, I've heard people say, man, my back teeth are floating because they got to piss so bad. <laughs> and that's exactly what it feels like. Uh, you know what? I'm a pussy. I'll get up and... During wait, the movie. Waiting for a boring part and I'll get up and go pee. I'll oh, do it. I can't. I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'd rather have bladder damage. <laughs> when they got back to the place to pack up, two stern-looking police officers were knocking at the door. Suspicious neighbors had called the cops after not seeing or hearing from Delphine or Raynell. They were arrested on the spot on February 28, 1949, and taken to the Kent County DA's office, where they were questioned by the police, the DA, and even reporters. Neither of them asked for a lawyer at any point. Together, they basically explained this entire podcast up to this point mm. to police and signed a 73-page confession in the presence of the DA, who promised beyond promise that he would never extradite them to New York, where they were sure to be executed. Michigan, of course, had no capital punishment. The electric chair scares me, said Martha, who was even told that she could go free and Fernandez would only do six years if they cooperated fully and told the entire truth. That sounds like a lie. <laughs> <laughs> The next day, the story ran front page on every major paper in America. Wherever the couple were shuffled off to while in custody, the paparazzi were right in their way, hoping to get a shot of the country's most infamous couple of the day. Then the process of dehumanizing and cartoonizing Martha began. She was called many new terrible names as well as old standards like Fat, Big Martha, a 300-pound figure of wrath, the pigling divorcee, so on and so forth. The pigling divorcee. You know what? We can laugh at that because she's such a bitch, but uh, man, the, that's fucked. rude for a it's paper really to do that. It's really fucked, yeah. yeah. You got to remember, man, these newspapers, they're sell fucking copies. ruthless. They got to sell ruthless. copies. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. Each newspaper that ran a story always included her weight, which they claimed was damn near 400. In actuality, she was 223 at time of arrest. Yeah, that's not even close. Nope. Um, here's the other thing. They had to be roasting his ass about his head, right? Oh, they were too. Yeah, yeah. okay. Like Scarhead and, you know. <laughs> Scar <laughs> <laughs> Old Scarhead there. <laughs> that's, the, that's a Spanish ripoff of Scarface. <laughs> Scarhead. Yeah, that's the Guatemalan version. <laughs> the Fernandez twisted love story, as told in the papers, cemented the public opinion that these two were certainly already guilty and the trial was just a necessary formality. The pressure for them to die was mounting. On March 8, 1949, Governor Dewey of New York was able to convince Kent County, Michigan DA, to waive their trial and extradite Ray and Martha to New York. They were now facing old Sparky. Why do I think... When you said Governor Dewey, I just thought of like... Dewey defeats Truman. Truman. Uh, well, I was thinking of like if you basically put the baby from Who Framed Roger Rabbit in a big oversized suit, that was him. I don't know why oh. that's what it keeps coming to my head. Uh, yeah, I thought of the kid from uh, Malcolm. <laughs> I think he was Dewey, Oh, right? God. Yeah, he would be executing people yeah. immediately. During last week's episode, the trial took place in a brutally cold Quebec winter. 
This trial opened on June 28, 1949, amidst a deadly heat wave that, over the July 4th weekend, would kill 881 people, a record that still stands. Wow, okay. Herbert E. Rosenberg was chosen as the sole attorney to represent both defendants. Of course, this was extremely unethical and unquestionably disadvantageous for the couple, but the decision stood. The venue was moved from Nassau County, where the Fay murder took place, to the Bronx Supreme Courthouse for space purposes, obviously. Mm. Prosecuting the case was Nassau DA Ed Robinson Jr. Robinson Jr. had been involved with the case since square one and was certainly responsible for finding the legal loopholes to secure the deal that extradited Ray and Martha. You know what? It, this is, uh, people can't see this, but how this is written, I thought his name was Ed Robinson Jr. Robinson Jr. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> God damn, that would be... I'm trying to wrap my head about how you could be named that way. <laughs> well, maybe... I don't know. His don't name know. is Ed Robinson Jr. That's the regular name. And then his last name is Robinson <laughs> Jr. <laughs> what if he just married... A, or no, his, both his parents' last name were originally Robinson Jr. And they hyphenated. Robinson Jr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could work. Come yeah, on. Yeah, why not? Neither <laughs> wanted to give up their last name. That had to have happened. Where Like a couple had the same last name and they hyphenated their kid's name. That would be the stupidest thing. Ah, But anyway, yeah, people can't see that, but that just made me laugh in my head. <laughs> The prosecution started their case quick with a cavalcade of witnesses, including the medical examiner, Janet Faye's friends from Albany, and her landlord. Michigan investigators were shuttled in to explain the copious amounts of physical evidence they discovered. Raymond took the stand on July 11, 1949, and said he had nothing to do with Faye's murder, and he'd only met Martha a short time ago before he started writing to Lonely Hearts Clubs. He admitted he gave Michigan investigators a 73-page sworn and signed confession, but now wished to retract all of it because he only did it to protect the love of his life, Martha. All my statements made were for the purpose of protecting Martha. I loved her. I could not think of anything else to do. Aww. This guy's such a fucking snake. Oh, Aww. my God. <laughs> <laughs> Shithead. The prosecutor jumped all over this, raising the level of back and forth to nearly shouting. He brought up Jane Thompson, Myrtle Young, Delphine, and Raynell Downing, all of whom turned up dead and broke after meeting Ray. Like a good prize fighter, Fernandez got a few counterpunches in, most notably when he brought up the Michigan interrogation. Everybody was permitted to question me, including the newspapermen. I didn't know whether I was coming or going, and the DA promised whatever I said wouldn't be used against me. He said they would look upon me as a murderer in New York, but they let Martha go. As a man, I take a pinch better than a woman, and if I cooperated fully, I would be free after six years, so I fully cooperated. I knew if I didn't, I'd go to jail for the rest of my life. So yeah, he played the mm. he played the card of how he was lied to, and uh, uh, but there was far too much evidence and too much public opinion for this to be more than a minor roadblock mm. for the prosecution. And that 73-page confession kept coming back to haunt him yeah. on numerous occasions. Mm. As the document was read aloud to the court, there were gasps at several points during descriptions of the murders. D.A. Robinson asked straight up if Ray shot and killed Delphine Downing. That's true. But when asked if he killed Janet Fay, he denied it. Uh, what lines was he drawing? Nobody knows. Mm. As page after page was read, 
each one more damaging than the last, their journey through depravity, murder, and fraud was laid out before the jury. Yeah, it's kind of hard to wiggle your way out of this one. Ever since the trial started, anticipation was high for the day Martha would take the stand. When her name was called on July 25th, she was wearing a gray and white polka dot summer dress with two strands of pearls and was wearing green wedges on her feet. Not exactly an appropriate outfit for trial. The courtroom was jammed with photographers and journalists. This feels like it's fucking Alice from Alice in Wonderland going on trial for murder. I was thinking uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Alice from the Brady Bunch. I don't know why. I was just thinking she looked like Alice from the Brady Bunch. Was she like kind of hopping into the courtroom and just like <laughs> flowers spilling out of her dress and shit? Little bunnies shooting out of her pockets? What a loser. <laughs> Martha told her side of the tale in hushed tones, with Raymond sitting straight up in his seat, unsure how she was about to proceed. She started her tale from childhood. When she was 13, she was subjected to not one but two incestuous experiences, which left her with PTSD and pregnant. That was uh, with an uncle. Ooh, that's confirmed. He confirmed, got her pregnant. Yeah. But uh, uh, it failed. The pregnancy failed. Uh, Thank roll goodness. tide. Yeah. So she was raped by a brother and an uncle. Ugh, this, oh, this is gross. She dreamed forever of being in love, saying that life wasn't worth living if she had to keep living with and arguing with her mother day in and day out, and she had attempted suicide several times. Mm. Her luck with men was non-existent, she went on. Her husband walked out on her while she was pregnant, and every relationship she'd had since her divorce went absolutely nowhere. When she got to the part about abandoning her two children at the Salvation Army, she broke down into hysterics for the oh, first time. Probably the first time she's ever cried, huh? What a bitch. I don't know. It's, I, here's the thing. Like, the person at the Salvation Army, did they not, like, say, ma'am, you can't do this? Or were they just taking kids? She didn't wait for kids? a response. Yeah. They just, just took them there. Put them, put them outside the front door and sped off. You know what? To be honest, though, as despicable of a thing it is for her to have done... Maybe those kids had a fighting chance because with her and Raymond, they aren't going to have a chance. There's no chance. Yeah. No. Yeah. Ray would have killed them. Yeah. I think. I mean, that was not a place for them. No. Not with serial killer parents. I don't think so. The court adjourned for lunch. And when they returned, Martha resumed her testimony. She claimed she knew straight up that Fernandez was a murderer and that she willfully helped him select victims, even giggling on the stand a few times, Ugh. recounting how easy it was. Raymond got a kick out of the photos these old hags would send him expecting a response. She's a real mean girl now. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 When asked about killing Mrs. Fay with a ball-peen hammer and garroting her with a scarf, Martha once again used the fugue state defense, saying she only remembered being shaken by the shoulders with Janet spurting blood at their feet. Mm. For three entire days, she was grilled by D.A. Robinson Jr. She laid bare her and Fernandez's intricate sex life in such detail, several women walked out of the courtroom in disgust. I kind of would have liked to know what she said. Like, did she say... He put it in my butt one time. Like, yeah, you no, know, I don't. Maybe he played hide the sausage <laughs> in her <did>. cannoli. <laughs> we did, we did uh, standing 69. I don't know what. Who's holding who? She oh, she's holding, holding his yeah. little ass. I'm just envisioning his bony ass. Little, like, little Spanish bony ass. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> After 44 days of testimony on August 18th, 1949, the case was handed over to the jury at exactly 9.45 p.m. They took a break for dinner, 
and then deliberated all through the night. At 8.30 a.m. on the 19th, the jury returned to read the verdict. The courtroom was virtually empty, as reporters and spectators thought there was no way they'd deliberate all night and would have to deliberate throughout the day as well. What the fuck is there to deliver? deliberate? Jesus Christ. <laughs> they just didn't think they'd go from 9.45 p.m. to 8.30 in the morning. I, maybe they... Fuck, they'd go back to their hotel rooms or something. Well, if they've been here 44 days at least, like, maybe they're just like... We gotta get just, paid. Yeah. Just keep dragging this shit, oh, I'll no get shit. a free dinner. No shit. Ten men and two women found Fernandez and Beck guilty of first-degree murder and made no recommendation for leniency. The couple showed no emotional response to the verdict and were hauled away until their sentencing the following Monday. On the 22nd of August, they were paraded back before the court and shuffled impatiently from foot to foot as the judge made his little post-trial opinion speech. Finally, Judge Pecora sentenced them both to die by electric chair in less than two months on October 10th. Holy shit. Within the hour, they were on their way to death row at Sing Sing Prison on the banks of the totally safe and clean Hudson River. <laughs> I'm sensing sarcasm there, Adam. It's a disgusting, filthy, <laughs> stinky river. We got Mississippi that's been polluted by uh, what? What's the mill? General Mills. It's the General Mills. And yeah. every other company that <laughs> raped this part of the river, yeah. Well, that fast track didn't work out so well, as around this time, New York was slowing down on executions dramatically. Their date was pushed back to March 8, 1951. The tabloids kept publishing articles about the two, and it was rumored that Martha was sleeping with one of the guards. God. Raymond was also busy on death row, trying to rekindle the flame with his wife and four times baby mama, Encarnacion, who was still holding it down in Spain. Mm, Could that have been true? What? That he was uh, still white writing to his wife. Oh, that was absolutely true. She, was. They have the letters of her writing back. She's like, listen, the kids know you love them. Uh, I know you love me, but uh, I don't know if I love you as much as you love me. Mm. Well, Mar- I'm assuming the Martha thing, just slander. Mm. Yeah, I would assume. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, she's uh, a notable woman. They need mm. to slow news day one day. They had to mm. make something up. Mm-hmm. Preparations for the execution took weeks to plan. There were 52 witnesses on the list to watch the couple die, which was unusually high. Generally, you'd have about a dozen or fewer, but this included nine judges, police higher-ups from both Michigan and New York, and press from at least 10 different outlets. Martha's last meal was fried chicken, no wings. Mm. That was very important. (laughs) French fries and a lettuce and tomato salad. Uh, Beck made one final statement to her lawyer just hours before the execution, and that was... I have sinned, and society will know that I'm paying this debt. The sin is great, and so is the penalty. This is not the minute to speak of who who is to blame. What is in the past must remain in the past. Only those tortured by love as I was can know what I mean. I was pictured as a fat, unfeeling woman. True, I am fat, but if that were a crime, how many of my sex would be guilty? I am not without feeling. I am not stupid. I am not a moron. I am a woman who has had a great love and always will have. Prisons and the death house have only strengthened my love for Raymond. In the history of the world, how many crimes have been attributed to love? Here are my last words and my last thought. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. 
I love Raymond. Wow. Everybody loves Raymond. Oh, my God. It's cringy Raymond. till the end. Yeah. But I guess she does have a point, right? Yeah. Uh, they I just don't know. made. Well, I'm saying, like, with them making fun of her weight and all of that yeah, or whatever. But, yeah. I'm guess, the alien from Sesame Street. You know what? I'm guessing Raymond's not as loyal as she is. That's just my mm. <laughs> wild guess. Well, let's uh, let's take a look. Here we go. Fernandez had an onion omelet with french fries, a chocolate bar, and a Cuban cigar for his final meal. He nervously confided to the guards that he didn't think he'd be able to hold up under this amount of pressure. When read Beck's statement, Fernandez told her lawyer, I am going to die like a man. What the hell does the public know about love? The news brought to me of that Martha loves me is the best I've had in years. Now, I'm ready to die. How about that? The lovers, they're they're read back. They're back. You know what, ladies? They say chivalry's dead. I don't know. (laughs) It's pretty... Raymond has something to say about that. Ooh. No, I mean, it's not dead. No, it's definitely not dead. At 11 p.m., everything kicked off. The first ones to go to the green... Outbuilding where the electric chair was held were two murderers who senselessly slaughtered an airline clerk. After their corpses were carted away, Fernandez was walked to the shed that contained his fate. Raymond mentally and physically broke when he crossed the threshold and had to be carried to the chair. He did not die like a man. No, no, he didn't. Minutes later, Martha got her turn. She, unlike Ray, strode proudly to the chair and gingerly sat down. At 11.24, she was declared dead. It was the first quadruple execution night since 1947 at Sing Sing, and the executioner was paid $150 per kill. Wow, not a bad taken for him. But, 600 uh, bucks for a night of work. <laughs> 24 minutes of work. You know what? Everybody loves a good doubleheader, right? And Raymond. Everybody <laughs> loves Raymond. Ah, uh, God. I wish that was actually the, con- the final episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. They just put the whole family in electric chairs and kills them all. Perfect, but, uh, especially that mom. Yeah. You know, you know what I find the most fascinating is that a lot of these couple killers always it, turn on each other. Mm. I mean, they kind of did, mm. but not really. While they were waiting their execution, it was definitely uh, on and off. They were they really? were getting in little tabloid fights back mm. and forth <laughs> with each other. Uh, yeah, but that's uh, that's pretty fucked up. At least they got caught pretty quick. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, at least, they didn't seem to want to murder for pleasure, I guess. They just did it for when they felt the goal cornered. of money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, when uh, they were like about to get caught, that's when they started killing. <sighs> yeah. You think if that metal thing didn't hit his head, he might have never went down yeah. this road. Yeah, I do. Mm. Okay. I think that really, fucked, his really head up. fucked him up and caused him a year in the prison when he got on the other ship and stole all their stuff. And Martha's piece of shit family kind of, uh, you know, broke her as a person. Uh, no good. Yeah. It's uh, it's really fucked up that all this shit happened, you know. Uh, it's horrible, honestly. The execution of the little girl and just... Drowning her in flood water. Yeah. The Greyhound bus driver's a little to blame for not paying attention to a apparently sleeping person getting on the bus. From Illinois to Arkansas. It was the 50s. He was probably drunk, too. 40s. Four, it, yeah. He was definitely drunk. He was then. a draft dodger or an old man, one of the two. <clears throat> well, he was definitely drunk one yeah. way or the other. Yeah. But excellent well, episode, Adam. I loved it. Good. Never heard of these people. Me neither. You were a little worried. Uh, a lot of deaths associated with the Lonely Hearts Club. Mm-hmm. 
Lots mm-hmm. of it. Holy uh, shit. Kelly, once again, Moose God, Goose God, uh, came through so super hard. Hell yeah. All of this episode is thanks to her. There's mm. pieces of her in every paragraph almost. She did great for us. There is also a movie that came out in 2006 starring Selma Hayek and Jared Leno that uh, I didn't watch, but maybe I'll watch it for next week. And uh, Suicide Squad. That's Suicide Squad. (laughs) Based on these two, yeah. Uh, That's fantastic. Great job. If you guys like the episode, why don't you do us a favor and send us a form submission over at bumblebuttpodcast.com. Hell yeah. Comes to us just like an email, and uh, we'll read and respond to it. Another thing you can do while you're clicking around on bumblebuttpodcast.com, buy a shirt, you know, buy a sticker, that kind of stuff. Follow all the links. Go to Sub D and listen to that stuff. If you want to follow us on social media, Instagram at Bumblebutt Podcast, Twitter at Bumblebutt Pod, bop the follow button on Spotify, Spotify Revolution in full effect. But uh, why don't you leave us a review on Apple iTunes if you're still uh, slumming it down there? Huh? Oh, yeah. No, we do have one written. I believe there's a few more non-written, or at least they haven't showed up yet. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for that. This one is Everyone Should Give This Podcast a Listen by PTX788. These guys are so entertaining and hilarious. Everyone should give it a try. The Carol Cole series was quite Ah. a beginning series for me. LOL. Keep it up, guys. That's pretty early, too, right? Damn, I remember. God, that was so fucking long ago. Carol Edward Cole. God, he's not covered much, to be honest with you. He's... uh, He's definitely not. Um, yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm gearing up for a big series next week, so buckle Fantastic. your tits and asses here. Buckle your tit belts. Here. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, thank you so much for doing that. We we uh, we really appreciate it. It helps shoot you up the thing. I saw iTunes is, like, launching some premium membership oh, for boy. shit. It's just, like, I feel like they're just kind of killing themselves at yeah, this point. Yeah, they're shooting, themselves. They're shooting <laughs> yeah. themselves in the foot. But uh, thank you. The reviews are free. I promise you they're free. Reviews are free. Mm. And uh, it's I don't know anything about if it shoots us up Apple charts, but I do know every time we get new reviews, we definitely get a jump in download numbers. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So thank you, everybody, who's That's done that. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Oh, great. The next best thing, well, and I'm not going to compare them. It's another good thing you can do to help us out is go to patreon.com slash bumblebuttpodcast. Donate at any level you would like. Uh, and there's uh, 10 or 11 episodes up now of Patreon oh, exclusive yeah. shit. If you want in on that, go for it. Uh, do we have any new members this week? We do. We got to thank Jeff. Thank you so much, Jeffrey, Jeff. Jeffrey, thank right. you, my boy. Thank you. You'll be getting your stuff uh, sometime this week. I'll mail it out to you. And then it's in uh, the USPS's hands. But right. usually, man, every time we send shit out, it seems to get there fucking fast. Honestly, it does. Yeah, you put it in the little thing. It's usually like two days no matter where you live. So. Yeah, I always see it on Instagram. Mm. I'm like, well, did Cody drive that to Tennessee? <laughs> or did the mail and just do I, good? Little do they know, I hand deliver it to everybody. Yeah, with a kiss Ooh. on the lips. A light kiss on the lips. I'm going to start putting a locket in my hair. Oh, do it. <laughs> I won't have any air left. And oh, I'm too yeah. scared it's not coming back. Well, do you have any trinkets? You can um, put trinkets in there. I can put some fingernails in there. Perfect. Perfect. That's a never-ending resource. See? It just takes a while to grow, kind of like sensu beans. Why don't we run cars off fingernails? <laughs> Honestly, it's ridiculous. There you go. Do we got any other business to attend to? Well, we do not. Well, that's fantastic then, everybody. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast. My name has been Adam. That has been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And as always, have a great weekend, unless it's Tuesday. 
Peace out.